Howdy, fans! You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Left circle, Stamkos. Holds, holds, shoots, scores! Stamkos! Again! The latest lightning news, interviews, and more. Wow. With your host, Greg Linelli. That's great, folks. That's great right there. On Lightning Power Play. It was interesting to see how last night played out. Tampa Bay, through the first early two periods, they were the inferior team. Boston dictated play, and you could tell the way the shots were being generated and the pace they were playing with really had Tampa Bay playing on their heels. But then late in the second, into the third, the Lightning started to push back and find their game, and it did have, in some ways, a playoff-like atmosphere to it. I think Boston might be the best team, at least in the Atlantic. Whether you think they're the best team in the Eastern Conference, I think we can have a nice debate. In fact, I think you can make a case there's probably four teams that can lay that claim. I think Washington can. I think Tampa Bay can. I think Boston can. And to a lesser extent, before this little losing streak, which was snapped last night to Ottawa, I think the Pittsburgh Penguins certainly can be a team that would be very dangerous. But I think the Lightning, when you take a look at what they're trying to accomplish and what they want to do systematically and structurally, it's to try and emulate what the Boston Bruins do defensively. Boston doesn't give you much. They're hard to play against. They play a system. They win some face-offs, and they rely on good goaltending and a great first line. I think the Lightning are a deeper team offensively than Boston. I think Boston's probably a better defensive team than Tampa Bay. I think Andre Vasilevsky is a bit better than Tuka Rask. We can have a conversation of whether or not you think there's a bigger gap there than what I just described. But I think right now, until somebody knocks off Boston, I think it makes sense to say they are the team to beat. What do you take from a game like last night? I think defense beats good offense. And we've been saying that for quite some time. I don't care how many goals Tampa Bay does score. It always seems like when you go against a really good team defensively, those goals dry up. So you can do one of two things. You can either go out there and get more scoring and hope that your offense just ends up pushing the envelope against a really good team defensively for 60 minutes and eventually the dam breaks and you start filling the net regularly. Or you can sit there and say, let's join the party. Let's go out and get some guys who can play good defense who are hard to play against and prevent goals rather than try and score them. And I think that's the route that Julian Brisewell took at the trade deadline. I still think Goodrow, Coleman, and Bogosian, to a lesser extent, are still trying to find their way in Tampa Bay. I think eventually it's going to work out. You can see in certain instances guys like Coleman and Goodrow playing the way Tampa Bay wants them to play and why they were so attractive at the deadline. Physical, chippy, and hopefully can provide some offense when called upon. But it's not a guarantee, and it's going to take some time. And I appreciate what those guys are doing right now because it is very difficult to get traded, to uproot your family, and then get some chemistry in that locker room with your new teammates. It's a challenge, but it's why the trade deadline is where it is on the schedule to get those players acclimated appropriately. But what did you make of the game last night? I know a lot of people were disappointed with the outcome, of course, and the way maybe the game started. It was pretty striking. Boston was the better team for the first 35 minutes, but then I thought Tampa Bay started to find their game just a bit. They were a little more physical. They played within their structure, and they 
committed less turnovers, which is one of the things that sometimes I think when Tampa Bay gets in trouble, their turnovers lead to the other team's offense. And we saw that with Yanni Gord and his turnover, Jake DeBrusque capitalizing, getting a breakaway goal, beating Andre Vasilevsky. But I thought it was a good game. As I said before in the pregame, that was a situation where even if Tampa Bay were to lose, as long as they play well at times, I think they can build off of it. And I think you'll see them do that again when they take on the Bruins in a few more days. Sal says, Greg Boston, they were winning the faceoffs the first two periods. Not sure if Tampa can play 60 minutes on a consistent basis in a playoff series. Stamkos' absence could have tilted the play. Sorelli line did not have a good game, whether in faceoffs or scoring chances. So I appreciate the uh, tweet. I'll disagree with you on the scoring chances. I actually thought Anthony Sorelli might have been their best player through two periods. He had a couple of really good looks. The one, member he had in front of Tuka Rask. He just shanked wide of the net. The face-offs, he wasn't very good. He was, what, 1 of 11 in the circle. But when you're going against Patrice Bergeron and, to a lesser extent, David Krejci, you're going to lose more times than you don't. It's a learning experience for a guy like Sorelli. And make no mistake, he and Jeff Halpern will be working on that uh, in the coming days. But, look, Boston's a really good team. I don't really believe a team can play well for 60 minutes. You've heard me say this on my show, Sal, over the last few years. I think if you're a team and you can play a good 45 to 50 minutes, I think that's an exceptional night. I think even the really good teams are going to have dips in their game throughout uh, a given uh, game against a particular team. I just think it's very hard in today's parity-driven league for a team to sit there and say, for 60 minutes, we were the better team and we dictated play. I think the good ones, what they end up doing is limiting those dips uh, in certain instances during a game, and that's why they win more times than not, in addition to having a lot of talent and, and good coaching. But I think the Lightning certainly found that out early on. Give them credit for not allowing Boston to run away with the game early on, but I think it, it took them a little too long to figure out what they needed to do to get by Boston. Certainly face-offs are a big issue. But I think also, too, Boston just doesn't give you a lot offensively. And you have to be willing to go to the dirty areas. Tyler Johnson had an opportunity where the puck was lying there on the ice, and he just missed it. Uh, When you have those opportunities, and there won't be many, you do have to take advantage of it. Make no mistake, a couple of years ago, Tampa Bay beat up Boston in the playoffs pretty good, and that was before they addressed their grit situation. Can they do it again? Uh, Time will tell. But I don't think Tampa Bay should be overly concerned if they take on Boston in the playoffs. You know it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a chippy game. What I will say, and before we go to break, I, I want to get to Chad Schnarr and Scott Lachlan coming up here in just a little bit, but before we go to break, I do want to say this. When you play a team like the Boston Bruins, your star players have to be a little bit more in control of the game. You cannot do what Tampa Bay star players sometimes do in a game when things are rolling. And that's make risky plays, make risky passes, because a team like Boston will make you pay. I saw a little bit of that creep into Tampa Bay's game last night. And if they want to advance beyond the first round or even win a Stanley Cup, the star players are going to have to lead by example. And I felt like at times that was a big issue. The first line for Tampa Bay was pretty quiet last night. And some of that had to do with the fact that they were playing that way that I just described to you. Uh, A little more risky, uh, not as disciplined, And if they want to beat a team like Boston in a seven-game series, the star players need to be a bit better. At Greg Linnelli on Twitter, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. Chad Schnarr from Bull Prospects up next. Scott Lachlan from SiriusXM NHL Radio joins me in segment four 
Always, you can hit me on Twitter at Greg Linnelli. So glad you're with us on a Wednesday on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Get a coup drop left circle. Cross ice Johnson right circle. Shoot score! Oh, what a snipe! The latest news, interviews, and more with your host, Greg Lanelli. He would not be denied! On Lightning Power Play. All right, Lightning Power Play Live. It rolls along on a Wednesday. Glad you're with us. We've been recapping Tampa Bay's 2-1 loss to the Boston Bruins last night at Amelie Arena. What did that lose mean, if anything, to Tampa Bay? In your eyes, is Boston still the team to beat in the East, or did you always feel like Tampa Bay was? Of course, head-to-head so far this year, Tampa Bay's up 2-1 uh, out of the uh, best of four that they play, but uh, you know, time will tell, I think, who advances a little further in the playoffs. Boston, one game away from winning the Stanley Cup last year. Of course, Tampa Bay getting swept in the first round, but uh, this is a new year, and both teams feel like they are much improved. Here to talk about it a bit more, our good friend Chad Schnarr from Bolt Prospects. Chad, when you take a look at the Eastern Conference in general, you know I, I know sometimes people like to say, well, Boston may be the best team, Tampa Bay may be the best team, but I think really in the East, especially with all the parity in today's game, there's probably three or four teams you could sit there and say on any given night could win the Stanley Cup. Would you agree with that? I absolutely would agree with that. And while you were talking there, I was thinking, okay, who is the team to beat? And yeah, I got about four that are on the list. And Boston's right there at the top with Tampa. Tampa's still, um, if you look at some of the people who use um, that math stuff to um, project stuff, uh, the Lightning could be considered the favorite still based on talent alone. Then you've still got Washington and what they're capable of, and they're just a year removed from the cup. And then you've got Pittsburgh, who has the core from their cup winners. They know how to win in the playoffs as well. So I think any one of the four probably will be the representative out of the East, unless someone goes on a miraculous run and knocks someone off. I've always admired at least Boston, the way they play. I mean, Dave Mishkin was making the the breakdown during the postgame show, that basically their first line is unbelievable. They get really good goaltending. And then everybody else understands their role, but you know they're going to be really hard to play against. They're going to be structured, and they're going to be really good defensively. Do you buy that just in general, and do you think that's what makes Boston so successful year in and year out for the most part? I do buy that, yeah. And Cassidy's done a great job having everyone buy in, and I think a lot of that, uh, is the leadership of Chara and Bergeron and, and guys like that. Um, but watching last night, the the game, uh, it's a, some people were calling them, you know, this is a one-line team. How is this happening? And the Lightning, for the most part, were able to get the Sorelli line out against the perfection line, as it's called, I guess. But, um, yeah, they just completely buy into what they're doing. They strive on taking away time and space from the opposition you don't get time to set up they do a great job boxing out to use a basketball term in the crease um they've got some heavies back there that do that well um and even looking at like lozon uh from pronouncing that game or name correctly um he's stepping in and he's had a good year and all he basically does is like a churnick roll it's just i'm going to clear the crease and keep the keep rebound chances to a minimum 
and they just play such a simple style, but it's stifling. And then they get goals when they need them off the counter or off that first line. It's, um, I, I do not like Boston <laughs> as uh, a, a team to watch for my entertainment dollar. Aside from, you know, the first line when it's really clicking, I think pasta is fun to watch, but, um, just, I got to hand it to them. They just know how to win in today's, um, NHL and especially later in the season when the rule book kind of changes. Yeah. Their stars buy in. I think that's half the battle too, with the way they're able to just be successful. And I, I think also to Tampa Bay this year at times, Chad is trying to find that structure and that discipline defensively. And I think when they do play that way, maybe the, the previous two months when they went on that really good run and they were winning a bunch of games and they were really one of the best teams in the league, they showed the ability to play that way. I think the difference is maybe Tampa Bay, because of the skill set up and down the lineup, might be a little uh, better offensively than the Bruins. Sometimes they always don't stick to it, do they? No, no, they don't. And it's kind of like they uh, default into what they're comfortable with. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, they've been going through this year trying to establish more of a defensive structure and then playing out of that. Um, and that's not unusual for them. It's just a little bit tighter than what they've done previously. Uh, but you look at games like uh, against Boston, the first couple games this year, uh, they were able to play more of a, a, a go, go, go entertaining style and it was working and it was fine. And then they, tried to do that a little bit to start last night and it just absolutely did not work at all. And now, and then they, um, they were able to do it more in the third period. They kind of switched what they were doing. And instead of more East West pull up at the circles and look for a pass, um, they would go to the net more. And I think a, a perfect and that or a perfect uh, comparison there is uh, in the second period, Tyler Johnson pulls up at the circle hits Gord down low and Gord tries to do a pass back to the blue line, hits a leg and bounces out and DeBrusque ends up scoring after Bogosian uh, tries to take a dive at him. In the third period, uh, Johnson comes in and pulls up a little bit, but then just drives the net with the puck, puts it into Rask's, Rask's belly, but uh, Mitchell Stevens is right there behind him, also crashing the net, and he puts in the rebound before Boston can clear it. And that is how you have to play in the playoffs offensively. And it took the Lightning almost 35, 40 minutes before they were able to switch that. So I said after the game last night on Twitter, and people said, well, well shouldn't they have learned this lesson before? But the lesson is there. In this time of uh, year, at this time of year, when the rulebook is is gone a little bit, you have to play that north-south style, and you just have to get the ugly goal. And it, it, they count the same as the pretty ones. Um, when you look overall, and I think this is why the Lightning are still considered favorites by some, is they can play both styles. Last year, they couldn't play what Columbus wanted them to do, and that was play like they did in the third period against Boston but they're shown that they're capable of it. And now they've got it under their feet a little bit. So that foundation is there that they can build on. And it's not so new. It's not as comfortable to them as it is for Boston. But I think if, if they can get Boston in the second round and Stamkos is there, I would still put Tampa ahead of Boston as, as a favorite. 
And I still think it's fair to say, this is just my opinion. I don't, I don't know where you come down. I don't even know if it's right, but this is how I feel. That, you know, Tampa Bay, I think, is a bit more talented than Boston. And I think their star players at times can be a bit di- more dynamic, although Pasternak, to your point, is having an outstanding year. But I think Boston stars are less prone to the egregious turnovers and breaking from the system than Tampa Bay stars. And I, I think specifically probably Kucherov. I don't think it's too, too many times you're going to see a Marshawn, a Bergeron, or a Pasternak try some of the moves that Kucherov makes in a given game. Now, in some ways, that's what makes Kucherov brilliant, Chad. But it also, you can see some breakdowns. Last night, I felt like he was pretty quiet, and the line, his first line, was pretty quiet. There are a variety of reasons I'm sure we can debate as to why. But I think there are probably more highs and lows with Tampa Bay's first line than there are with Boston's, and a chance for Boston's first line to be a bit more consistent playing within the structure. Yes, I completely agree. Uh, Boston's first line plays like a... It's almost like they play like a third line. Everything is direct, uh, straight lines, it's angles, it's not flat passes. Uh, They don't drop it back very often. It's just simple and safe. And simple and safe means you're not going to turn the puck over. You may not get as many scoring chances as uh, a first line that has Stamkos, Point, and Kucherov, but you're not going to turn the puck over as much. And... uh, the lightning wants its possession to go through Kucherov and why wouldn't you? I mean, the guy's a brilliant passer and still one of the best one touch passers in the league, if not the best. Um, but I think it, it takes a lot for someone like Kucherov to change his game when he's so used to playing that, I guess you could call it a traditional European style or Russian style of East West and pull up and find the perfect pass um, and I just think that uh, Boston just plays more straight ahead, more direct, more north-south. And that's what wins games at this time of year. The Lightning, uh, give them the first three quarters of the year when the rule book's a little bit different. And I, I've said that like three times now, but it's true. There's less chipping that goes on. There's less holding and clutching and grabbing. And, and there's more space to work with. And the Lightning do really well with that, and they're learning to do it the other way. Do you feel like once the playoffs begin, and especially the moves that Tampa Bay made at the deadline, that style that you're talking about will be something they're more adept at playing? I think so, yes. And I think that's why they targeted the guys that they did, uh, because Coleman is a straight-ahead player. He's going to win battles along the wall, um, and he's just a get-it-to-the-net-and-crash guy. Plus, he can score. He's got a pretty decent shot. His shooting percentage is up there a little bit, but um, he can do that. And uh, the same thing with Goudreau. Uh, Just he's going to make a pass, and then he's going to drive the net. And the Lightning on average or or the ratio of guys that are willing to do that versus not hadn't been as high. So I think they are set up better for that, but they have to get the buy-in from everyone to do that. And until that happens from absolutely everyone, they're still going to be back a little bit on their heels. And I think, again, we probably saw that a bit last night, first couple of periods, Tampa Bay, they allowed Boston to dictate play, no doubt. But then in the third period, things really started to turn around. And you can make a case uh, late in the second period that happened as well. But it's, uh, I think, a process. At times, Tampa Bay looks really good when they're playing with that structure. And when they don't, it's a little loose. And they got to tighten things up. And we'll have to do that again on Thursday 
against Montreal. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with part two of our interview with Chad Schnarr from Bold Prospects. Hit me up on Twitter, at Greg Linelli. Back after this on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Shot taken, Morgan! What a save by Vasilevsky! No rebound! The latest news, interviews, and more. No. With your host, Greg Lanelli. Really? On Lightning Power Play. Lightning Power Play Live rolls along. Greg Lanelli with you. Chad Schnarr from Bolt Prospects has been gracious enough to hang on for one more segment on the show. Hit me up on Twitter. At Greg Lanelli, when you take a look at the new guys, where do they best fit in terms of line combinations? And he's not new, but I thought last night Brian Engblom pointed this out. He really liked Gord going back on the fourth line with Maroon and Paquette. We know how John Cooper is with line combinations, particularly with Steven Stamkos out right now. There might be more mixing and matching, but what have you seen in the limited games with the new guys and maybe who you'd like to see them play with moving forward? Uh, just where they are is probably okay. Uh, I think one um, asset that they both have, and especially Coleman, is they can play on any line. And the Lightning have these interchangeable parts with Kalorn and Palat and Johnson and, and Gord where they can kind of play lines one through, one in a complementary role down to line four. Um, and I think Gord is a matchup problem if he's on line four because of his speed and he's got some pretty decent hands and uh, the IQ to go with it that he can create a, a few scoring chances off of line four be, uh, against a favorable matchup. So I think that works. Um, I'd like to see Coleman up on a higher line. And I think most of that selfishly is just because they paid so much to get him that I'd like to see him use more and maybe even on the power play a little bit. He's not getting any power play time so far. But now's the time to kind of experiment with that and find your spot um, for what it's going to be in the first round. Um, but right now, I think they're settling in okay. We asked the question over on our show Twitter page, at Bolts Radio, with Steven Stamkos being out, which player out of the four that we gave needed to give a bit more in order to make up for the loss of Steven Stamkos? And I think not a surprise, uh, Tyler Johnson, who was one of the options, is so far getting the majority of the votes. Chad, do you buy that? Do you feel like he's the one guy that has a bit more to give or really has to give in order for this team to overcome the loss of Stamkos? And if not Johnson, who would be for you? Tyler Johnson is my pick going away. You look at what players... We just talked about roles and buying into roles and what Boston has and what they've been trying to, what Boston has been trying to get is when they got Kasha um, and they were in on Coleman, but they didn't want to pay the, uh, the price to get them. Um, they're, they have guys who are, who are assigned a certain role and they play that role. Tyler Johnson is paid to be a point producer and a goal scorer. Uh, he used to be a point producer. Then he went into goal scoring only last year. He had what 29, but he only had like 14 or 18 assists. And this year he just hit 30 points. So he's going to end up around a half a point a game. And for a guy that makes as much as he does and uh, for the contract that he's on lengthwise or term wise. And for the role that he was, that he's being played to do, he is a producer he should be able to slot in on line two in the center. He should be able to be on the wing on line two or line one and make that line better. 
And so far, it's been kind of the opposite. Now, he did create something last night. Uh, granted, he was offside on a goal, and they ended up taking it away. But you know, that's a whole other story for another day. But overall, his production is way down. And when you look at guys who can score and goals are the currency of the NHL, you need goal scorers to be goal scorers. And if the Lightning do not have Stamkos, they should be able to put Johnson in that circle as a righty and have him opposite Kucherov to give them the same kind of uh, strategy on power play one. But he's not. Um, and he's just not there. And he just does not look like the same player he used to be. And I hope he finds it because I don't think the Lightning can go far if he doesn't step up his game. Now, aside from him, um, I, I think Palat, there's, he's kind of what he is and what he's showing is what he is. We're getting more from Kalorn this year production-wise than we have in the past. We're not getting as much out of Gord, but he's been in kind of a different role all year. Um, and I think Coleman has to step up as well. And we talked when they were acquired that it may not be one guy who steps up to give them secondary scoring. It has to be a combination of a couple out of instead of four now it's out of five or six and the percentages are a little bit higher so it's just got to be someone has to step up in addition to tyler johnson for them to go far is there one contract on this roster that you think just really i don't want to say bugs you but you just have a a hard time looking at and saying "I, i can't believe he's getting that for this amount of time Really, it's that whole group, um, the the guys who have the six and seven year deals, Gord and Kalorn and Palat and Johnson, just because their roles as middle sixers, that's a, a relatively easy role to fill. Now, the Lightning were in a are in a, a different circumstance with having this cup window that they have to take advantage of right here. Um so they paid a huge price to get Coleman, but Coleman is available. You don't get first liners that are available. You don't get top four D that are available. So when you have contracts that are limiting you from signing the Sergachevs who can play on a top line or excuse me, the top pair uh, or Sorelli, who's who's proven to be a very good number two center um, that irks me. Um, so it may not be just one. It's just the the non-flexibility or inflexibility of the roster as a whole with all of these guys in these contracts that's limiting the ones that you have to retain. I can find the other ones. They're going to be available. It might be a high price, but they're going to be available. It's the ones now that aren't available that you have to grow and retain. And maybe the Lightning thought with Tyler Johnson, they're they're getting a guy who can play top six, no no questions asked. And that's why they gave him the contract. But the Kalorns and Palats and Gords, all of those guys are middle sixers that probably slot in on the third line um, when you're just looking at their talent in a vacuum. So it's, it's just a combination of them all together. It's not necessarily one person. But I do think that Tyler Johnson has to produce more to make his contract worth it because that's what he was paid to do. Do you worry in the offseason that Julian Brisewa, to take care of the restricted free agents, is going to have to unload one of the players you talked about in addition to giving up a prospect for another team to take on that salary? Yes, absolutely. And 
I think Alex Kalorn is the only one that's able to be moved, and that's going to be after July 1. And maybe they can convince him to waive his no-trade clause at the draft when more of the trades are made um, and say, look, you can waive this now or your no-trade clause goes limited or modified, whatever it is, on July 1. We're going to try to move you then. We have to get rid of this contract. I think in order for the Lightning to be flexible moving forward over the next five to eight years, they have to get rid of two of those. Um, but now I wonder what kind of assets they're going to have to put with a player to move him because those contracts are so long. Out of the guys who are restricted free agents, which one do you think is going to cost the most? And what do you think that number is going to be? I think it's going to be Sturgachev um, because, as I mentioned, just top four defensemen are so hard to find. And his agent has to be looking at him on the first power play unit last night and his usage at the end of games, both offensively and defensively. They are playing him now that he's past that 200 game mark. They are playing him like they played Hedman when Hedman was maturing and had passed that threshold as well. He's a legit top defenseman on this team, especially with McDonough out um, off that left side. His agent has to be saying, you got to give this guy five, six, maybe even seven. So probably five and a half to six million a year for probably four years, maybe a bridge deal somewhere in there. But um, and I don't know what his, his age versus contract status is off the top of my head, but um, I think he's going to come in the most because that type of player is so valuable for any team in the NHL. Is Jan Ruta a guy you would try and bring back? I would just because he's a nice filler. He knows the system. He knows what uh, to do. He keeps his game simple. He's got mobility. He can move the puck a little bit. Um, and if you don't play him on the first pair, and he's probably not ideal for that as a complimentary, complimentary uh, player, then you can put him on the third pair or you, if Shattenkirk prices himself out, and you would be just fine with him on the third pair. And you know you can trust him and play him on the PK and he'll be fine. Or if you need to put him on the popcorn stand as a healthy scratch, then you can do that too. And you know you're not going to limit his development because he's really kind of uh, beyond being a developing prospect. Speaking of prospects, is Alex Barry Boulay the best prospect right now at the forward position? At the forward position, yes. Um, the only question on him is the NHL. Does his game translate to the NHL? He's got the uh, skills for the NHL. He's got the IQ for the NHL. The awareness is there. His skating is a bit of an issue and uh, his size is obviously an issue but if he has time and space he's going to be able to succeed at the nhl level i don't know that the lightning would um i don't know that the lightning would be uh really anxious to get him into the lineup though because they've got they've moved toward the heavier style and he's more of the Tyler Johnson type that's going to be undersized and skill. And if they're able to move out some of that player type, then maybe Alex Barre-Boulay comes in. But as far as producing points, um, I wonder if the Lightning go cold here offensively, if they don't give him a look, at least for some power play duty to see if he can create something that they're not getting right now. 
Who is that next heavy player, regardless of how well they're performing down in Syracuse, that you think can come up and play that brand of hockey that maybe Tampa Bay is transitioning to? Probably Boris Pachuk. Uh, he can play on the PK, and they like guys that can do that. Um, you know, Matthew Joseph a little bit. He just got a, kind of got away from that. But Kachuk plays a little bit more of a heavier game. Um, I think the guy to really watch is Gabe Fortier, who's still in juniors right now. Uh, he's another in uh, the same type, like a Steve or like a Mitchell Stevens, but more on the wing and not as heavy. But a gritty guy with decent hands who's going to play both sides of the puck. Um, they don't have a lot of size, you know. That's why they took Nolan Foot because he's a big boy and with some hands, they don't have a lot of size there. Radish has some size. I think he's six two, but he's on the lighter side and he doesn't really play that heavy. Chad Chenar from Bold Prospects joining us here on Lightning Power Play Live. Lastly, uh, Steven Stamkos out six to eight weeks. Um, did you feel like he was playing some of his best hockey in recent time in terms of the two-way game and what he was giving you night in and night out? And when you take a look at athletes who have lost time because of injuries, there have been some really good players. You know, Stamkos probably qualifies to be on that list with the Mary Lemuse and the Eric uh, Lindroses, Sidney Crosby's. Maybe not quite in some of those players' leagues, but he is a guy, I think when we look back, you're going to say, to some extent, what if? I really do. I was thinking about that the other day. I'm glad you, you asked that or, or mentioned that as a topic here. Um, his numbers could be so much higher if he didn't have the broken leg and um, I forget what the second injury was, but when he was out for so long there and now this here, six to eight weeks, um, you don't want to give the, the injury prone label to him, but he does have some significant injuries and, and look at his goals per game, look at his points per game. Uh, he, his numbers should be way up there. And I don't think it'll be where you have, well, if Mario was healthy, he would have pushed Gretzky's um, records. Um, I don't think it'll be that by any means, but I think when you look at the Lightning's history, um, you're going to see his name and think that could be a lot higher. And he's transformed his game kind of like Iserman, had, Iserman did. Uh, he used to be just that goal scorer, and then he was um, point producer, and then he was kind of goal scorer again. And then this year he's been more of a two-way guy. And I never would have guessed that he had a major injury because he was still playing hard every game and shift to shift. And I didn't see him um, wincing or you know letting up on, on games or opportunities, 50-50 opportunities, anything like that. I thought he was playing really well both sides of the puck. You think they can, lastly, do you think they can survive a round if Stamkos isn't back before the playoffs without him? Uh, I think they can beat Toronto if it is Toronto that's in there. Um, Toronto seems to have some goaltending issues. I know Toronto beat them the other night, but that could have gone either way. Um, I don't know that the Panthers are going to get in there for that, but I think they can win round one as long as that, um, as long as the opponent doesn't play that stifling trap collapsing game that Boston and Columbus can play so well. All right, buddy. We always appreciate it. We'll do it again next week. Make sure everybody checks out Bolt Prospects for good analysis on the NHL club and also the minor leagues. Chad, we'll do it again, buddy. Thank you. All right. Looking forward to it. Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM NHL Radio. He's up next right here on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Crosby, open in front, backhand shot. What a save.
the latest news, interviews, and more. Finally! With your host, Greg Lanelli. Oh, the relief on his face! On Lightning Power Play. All right, Lightning Power Play Live rolls along. Greg Lanelli with you, recapping what happened last night at Amelie Arena. Tampa Bay falling to the Boston Bruins 2-1. to one. It was a good game. And uh, not surprising when you have two of the better teams in the league competing. And here to talk about it a bit more, our good friend from Sirius XM NHL Radio, one of the best in the business. Always love having him on via the phone line. Let's welcome back to the program Scott Lachlan. Uh, you can check him out too, 7 to 11 on Sirius XM. Scott, first off, thanks for coming on. We always appreciate it. And, you know, not a surprise, late in the season, it's Tampa Bay and Boston competing for that number one spot in the Atlantic. Yeah, I don't think it's a surprise at all, Greg. I mean, I think this is what we've sort of had circled on our calendars. Uh, the game coming up uh, Saturday night in Boston will certainly, I, I think, be a big game for the Lightning, not necessarily for first place any longer, because I think the Bruins have kind of solidified that more or less. But I think that for the Tampa Bay Lightning, they've done well against the division, as you guys know down there. And I think it'll be incumbent upon them to, again, do the old proverbial message sending to Boston, because I think we know where this is going to be headed. Uh, it'll be headed to a Boston-Tampa Bay showdown uh, come the Stanley Cup playoffs at some point. And I think it's going to be important for Tampa Bay to play a good, solid game coming up on Saturday night. And secondly, to get healthy. I mean, that's the, the real uphill battle for a lot of teams out there these days is to make sure you get all hands on deck come the postseason. And I think for Tampa Bay, that'll be, you know, certainly part of it down the stretch as you get towards the first round as well to make sure you've got all hands on deck and everybody available to play come the middle of April. Scott, time will tell how the new guys fit in with the Lightning. I think there's always a little bit of an adjustment period when a team is pretty active at the trade deadline and then those new guys try and fit in. You have to worry about moving and then fitting in with a new group of guys. I think it's always can be a little bit of a challenge. But do you think eventually the style, the type of player they got at the trade deadline with Goodrow and Coleman and to a lesser extent Bogosian, that the Lightning now in some ways can play a similar style to the Boston Bruins. Not identical because I think they are different in some ways, but that the Lightning can be harder to play against. Yeah, I think that's fair, Greg. I think that's what Julian Breesbaugh had in mind when he went out to get these players, the ones you talked about, and even going back to to bring in Patrick Maroon in some number of months ago. So uh, I think that they learned uh, against Columbus. Clearly, Columbus is not as talented as the Lightning are player for player. But I think they picked up from Columbus and what they did in the postseason last spring in that particular series loss that maybe we knew, do need to get a little bit grittier, uh, perhaps get a little bit more physical along the way. And, you know, as we know, come playoff time, and in the NHL in general these days, Greg, you know, uh, you don't really see too many guys drop the gloves anymore. I'm not talking about physicality from that standpoint, but I'm just talking about getting heavy on pucks, uh, being the type of guy that can go into a corner in a one-on-one battle and come out with the puck. And I think that some of these guys that they picked up, you know, Maroon and Coleman, uh, and, and certainly Bogosian on the back end, uh, like they had, and Barclay Goodrow coming in from San Jose. I think these are the types of guys that can do those little things that, you know, ostensibly in the end, are actually the guys who win you playoff series. I mean, the, the skill has never been in doubt with Tampa Bay. It's maybe the grit and a little bit of heaviness on that puck that I think that Julian Breesball was in search of. And uh, I think deep down he's probably found it. Whether or not it's enough to, to get past the Boston Bruins when push comes to shove, I guess we'll talk about that in the future. 
But right now, I like what they tried to do in terms of going out to get what they got. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what did you make of the players specifically that they brought in at the trade deadline? And what did you make of Tampa Bay giving up the price they had to give up to attain them? I guess it's just doing business in today's NHL. Yeah, I did find it fascinating, Greg, that, you know, I guess when you look back at like the last nine first rounders that Tampa Bay's picked up, and we can include a guy like Nolan Foot in there, too. He's no, no longer a part of the organization, as we know, uh, that the Lightning have had, you know, such a propensity to trade these guys away. But I think what it speaks to is the fact that they're clearly in win-now mode. I mean, they thought that they were going to win the Stanley Cup yesterday, and you know, we've talked about it the past couple of seasons, Greg. It is Stanley Cup or bust once again for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And what they've done is they've gone out there and said, you know what, we're willing to give up a little bit of our future. We know we've got some cap constraints to a certain extent. Some of these younger players that are coming of age here are going to need to be paid at some point, whether it's today or next week or next month. And we've got to make sure that we've got enough money put away to take care of them as well as trying to win that Stanley Cup uh, as of 2020. So I think, you know, they've drafted well. Uh, they've nurtured their players well. they developed their players well in the American Hockey League over the years with the great relationships that they've had going on there. But now it's time to win, and you've got to add the ingredients that you think that will put you over the top. Scott, do you think because of the salary cap and in today's parity-driven league that teams, more teams, are value, valuing their draft picks and prospects more so than we've seen over the last 10, 15 years? It really feels like if you were going to get somebody at the trade deadline that you really wanted, especially somebody with term, you were going to have to part ways with a first-round pick or a high-end prospect. Yeah, I think it varies from situation to situation, Greg, because Tampa Bay's in a much different situation than a team like Detroit would be uh, or Ottawa would be or New Jersey would be at their stage of development. So I think the closer you are to a Stanley Cup, uh, the more willing you are to go out and get somebody. Uh, but to your point as well, I mean, the fact that you can bring guys back and still have term on their contract, and the Leafs did this last season, too, when they went to get Jake Muzzin. Because they said, we can take two runs in the Stanley Cup with Jake Muzzin and then pick up the pieces from there and figure out whether or not we can sign him. As it turns out, they did sign him recently to a new four-year contract extension. Uh, but, yeah, it seems to be something that works well for a team to go out and get uh, a guy when you know he's got at least a year, two, maybe three on the contract that you've got control of in the short term and perhaps even the longer term. For the other team, you know, like the New Jersey Devils, I think you're looking at a situation where clearly they're still trying to stockpile picks and prospects and trying to move forward looking towards next season. Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM NHL Radio joins us here on Lightning Power Play Live. Scott, what did you make of Steven Stamkos and his injury out six to eight weeks? I've got to think in the short term, Tampa Bay should be able to survive this. But if this goes into the playoffs and he's got to miss the first round, depending on who they play, do you think that's a big problem for the Lightning? Yeah, I think any time you miss a guy of the caliber of Steven Stamkos, uh, it, it could catch up to you down the road. And, and you're exactly right, Greg. I mean, is it going to hurt them short term? No, I don't think so. I think the Tampa Bay Lightning will finish second in the Atlantic Division. I wouldn't expect Toronto to get that much closer. I think that Florida and Toronto battling for thirds fine. I think that one and two, for the most part, has been cemented, as I said earlier, in the Atlantic Division. Uh, but yeah, you're just hoping to get him back in the playoffs. And like you suggest, Greg, I mean, it might not necessarily be a case where you get him back for that opening round series, presumably against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and you hope to get him back for the second round. But I think if you're going to run into a Boston Bruins at some point here during the postseason, you're going to want to have all hands on deck, and it's going to take a total team effort, uh, including Steven Stamkos, to, to supply the goods. They've got some answers in-house, certainly with guys that are expected to do more 
guys like Tyler Johnson, I think, would be, you know, guys that would be counted upon perhaps to, to step it up offensively to a certain extent. Uh, but I think over the long haul, if you want to win the Stanley Cup, you need to have a, a healthy and productive Steven Stamkos to get that done. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because we actually had a poll question on our show Twitter page at Bolts Radio Scott. And basically the question was, which player out of the four that we provided needed to step up their game a bit more or needed to give a bit more with Steven Stamkos being out? And ironically, um, with a pretty good amount of traction, Tyler Johnson was number one on that list with 59% of the vote. Kucherov was number two at 24%. I think that's a given. He's going to have to pick up the slack anyways with Stamkos being out. Palat was third with 8%, and then other, um, or excuse me, other was third at 9%. Palat was fourth at 8%. But Tyler Johnson was a popular figure, and it just seems like this year, Scott, it's been a tough go for him. Just hasn't been able to find that next gear. Consistency has been an issue, but we do know he's a playoff guy. We do know he has credentials. I guess it's just a matter of him putting it together. Yeah, Rick Peckham told us a couple of days ago, Greg, that he felt like when he looked at a guy like Tyler Johnson, I mean, ostensibly he's been the seventh forward and has just been sort of outside the top six. Uh, So maybe his role had diminished to a certain extent. Uh, I think to a certain extent he's kind of been bypassed by Anthony Sorelli. And I think that when you look at where his point totals were a couple of years ago and you compare them where they are now in 2019-2020, I think people still see, you know what, we, we saw what he used to be. Uh, it's up to him now to show us what he can be and going forward. And what a golden opportunity this is to get a little bit more playing time, perhaps a little bit more in the way of, of offensive responsibility here to get back to where he was. I mean, he's got a great chance here uh, to provide this team with something that they're going to be missing without Steven Stamkos. And uh, we'll wait and see if he can get it done because it's been a while since he's been at that sort of level. But I think that we've seen, based upon his resume in previous seasons, Greg, that it's fully within his capabilities, if given the opportunity and everything's right, for Tyler Johnson to be a difference maker still for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM NHL Radio joins us here on Lightning Power Play Live. Scott, do you feel like this is the most complete Lightning team we've seen in a while? I know they went to the Stanley Cup Final against the Blackhawks a few years back. They've been to some Eastern Conference Finals and actually had Pittsburgh and Washington on the ropes up 3-2. So you can make a case those teams were a bounce or two away from getting to another Stanley Cup final. But in terms of the makeup of this team, do you feel like Julian Brisois has done everything he can to make sure they're as complete a team that you can have in a salary cap era? Or do you still think there may be some holes there? No, I think that they've gone out and they just realized, like I said earlier, Greg, that, you know, they lost to Columbus for a reason. And again, it wasn't about skill because on paper, if the series was played that way, then Tampa Bay would have beaten out the Columbus Blue Jackets. But they got beaten by a pretty hot goaltender at the time, as we all know. Uh, they've got a pretty good one themselves, as we all know, in the all-world Andre Vasilevsky. And I think that when you look at it, and I always like to break it down in different departments, Greg. I mean, you look at goaltending, you look at the blue line core, and you look at the forwards. And as far as what the Lightning have, I don't know that there are many teams in the league that would have anything uh, that would re- resembles that sort of a team makeup. I mean, they're set in goal with Vasilevsky. He doesn't have to win any more individual awards. He's already done that. Now it's all about the team success that he hopes to have. You've got the all-world defenseman and Victor Hedman and some guys back there that have plenty of experience and pedigree and success uh, to different degrees in their, their runs in the National Hockey League. And, you know, even without Steven Stamkos, like we said, maybe for the first round, 
they've got enough to actually score goals and win. And now by adding the sandpaper and the grit and the heaviness on the puck, I think that's all Julian Breezeball was looking at here to, to maybe put the finishing touches on a Stanley Cup championship team. So I think at this point, Steve Eiserman for the long run and for the short term here with Julian Breezeball, they seem to have dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's, Greg. And now it's just up to John Cooper to get this team playing the right way going into the playoffs. And like I said earlier, making sure you get as many guys back from sick bay as you possibly can. I'm always fascinated when the Lightning take on a team like the Bruins who follow a structure, follow a, a system to a T and are very hard to score on. It is so true, Scott. I think in any sport, they always say offense wins games, but defense wins championships. It doesn't really matter how talented you are. You go against a really talented team defensively, more times than not, you're going to struggle to score, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Bruins, and we've heard the adage for years now, right, Greg, and the Lightning and their fan base has experienced it too. You know, come playoff time, the one thing you always hear of, it's like a broken record. You know, it's, it's taking away time and space. And what essentially that means is that when every player gets the puck on his stick, he's got an extra half second less with which to make a play. So you want to be near your check, and when they do get the puck, you want to be on them that much quicker and that's why it, it, it gets to be a, a tougher time scoring during the postseason. Aside from the fact that I think that most people who've watched the playoffs over the years realize that maybe, just maybe, there are fewer power plays that come around, uh, that maybe the game is called a different way. Nobody wants to confirm that, but we've watched all the games over the years, Greg. It's a different sort of a season that sometimes doesn't even nearly resemble what we witnessed during the regular season. So a team like Boston that's heavy on the puck, that play structured defense from beginning to end under Bruce Cassidy. Those are the types of teams when you throw in the likes of Tuka Ras between the pipes that are going to be successful. I think Tampa Bay, by adding some of these ingredients here, has put themselves in a position to do that, and we'll just have to wait and see, like we say, if they can play the right way with the postseason fast approaching. Scott, I still think the window for Tampa Bay to win a cup is still relatively wide open. There are young players and their best players are still locked into some good contracts for the foreseeable future. But as we know in the offseason, they're going to have to make some moves to get under the cap. And they have some guys who are restricted free agents. They're going to get a good payday. But I am wondering, if they do underachieve in the playoffs a bit, do you think more changes would occur because of the failures to get beyond the first or second round? No, that's a good question, Greg. And, you know, everybody loves John Cooper. I'm sure he's beloved down there in the Tampa area. Uh, there's an awful lot of pressure on John. Let's face it. I mean, let's, let's tell it like it is. I mean, he's expected to take this team to a championship level. He's won pretty much wherever he's been, whether it was in the United States Hockey League or in the American Hockey League, taking the team uh, on deep runs in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but not winning the ultimate prize. There's an awful lot of pressure on John. I mean, he's the type of guy that's been so successful, Greg, that if you were ever looking for a, a job at his next destination, he'd probably get one within a couple of days, threatening Bruce Boudreaux's record from a few years ago, should he want to go down that road. I'm sure he doesn't. I'm sure he wants to win a cup with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, but should it end prematurely this time around? I think you have to take a look at pretty much everything uh, as far as what your situation entails. Uh, there's an awful lot of pressure on the coach here to get it done because, like we say, and we've been documenting here hopefully the last couple of minutes, Greg, I mean, the general manager and the previous general manager did everything that they could, we think, to put the pieces in place to win now, mortgaging some of the future because the time is now to win in 2020. Like you say, doesn't mean the door's closed, the window's closed. 
a la San Jose uh, on the Tampa Bay Lightning if they don't reach the top of the mountain. But they've had a lot of good success. And in some way, shape, or form, they've lifted the bar so high that only a Stanley Cup, I think, at this point will do. Scott Lachlan from SiriusXM NHL Radio joins us here on Lightning Power Play Live. That being said, Scott, a couple more questions for you. Who do you think is a really good matchup for Tampa Bay in the playoffs? And who do you think would be still a difficult matchup for the Lightning, even though they have addressed some grit factors, some size issues? Do you still feel like a team that has that size component would give them problems? I do. I think, you know, Columbus was that team last spring. I think the Boston Bruins uh, could be that team this time around. And let's not forget, too, Greg, I mean, the Bruins were within one victory of winning uh, their second Stanley Cup in, in like nine years, uh, last season, eight years, uh, to take it back to 2011. Uh, so I think those are the types of teams you have to be wary of. Uh, you and I have talked about it before, Greg. It's almost in this day and age, in the modern-day National Hockey League, that you need to have two different teams. One built for the regular season at success, which the Lightning have had, and then one built for the postseason, where you have to play a certain way. I think that really played into St. Louis and their success in winning the Stanley Cup and ending that decades-long drought that they had last year. And I think that the Boston Bruins proved that they were the class of the East because they could do that too, win in the regular season, win most importantly at playoff time. And I think that's what Tampa Bay's looking at right now. I think they're going to match up with the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round of the playoffs. I still was hoping, Greg, for a Florida Panthers-Tampa Bay Lightning first-round series as the days go by because the Panthers have struggled specifically down at the BB&T Center. I think that's becoming less of a reality. So at some point, I want to see Tampa Bay versus Florida in the battle for the Sunshine State. But realistically, it'll be the Leafs and Tampa Bay. I think they're very, very similar type teams. I think they're the types of teams that are clearly built on skill. They've both got good net binders. Vasilevsky has had a very good season. I think that Frederick Anderson in Toronto has had an average at times season to a good type season at other times. Uh, I think the Leafs have had some some concerns and question marks about defense. And I guess you could say the same thing at times regarding the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, but it should be an entertaining series. And if you want skill with a little bit of grit thrown in there, I think Tampa Bay and Toronto might be the first-round series that we're all looking forward to. Scott, lastly, who is the best team in the East? Do you still give it to Boston, or is Washington one of those teams you look at and say when they're clicking and if they're getting good goaltending, they're going to be tough? I'd still say Boston, you know, based upon how close they got last season, Greg. Uh, but Washington's right there. Uh, they could make their mark as well. Uh, look, if you'd asked me this question about 10 days ago, Greg, I probably would have said, hey, look out for Pittsburgh. You know, this is a team that's on a great run. And then they went out and they lost six straight games. And then last night they got off the schneid against the Ottawa Senators. But it just goes to show what a week-to-week type of league it is. I mean, all it takes is a, a four-game losing streak and you know certainly i think fans outside of tampa are looking at the lightning a little bit differently now that they dropped five of their past six than maybe they did a week to 10 days ago uh, or to two weeks ago uh, but i still think that what you've got on the roster is a real good thing down there and it's 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 time to step on the gas i think they'll do that i think tampa bay's really good but to answer your question yeah i'd probably say as far as the lachlan power rankings go i go boston and washington but look out for Philadelphia. Philadelphia yeah. goes to Washington tonight, and they come away with two points. Greg, I think that maybe the Flyers, somewhat under the radar, maybe would be a, a fly in the ointment for some of these teams come to the Eastern Conference playoffs. Yeah. Can they get that goaltending? Can they win on the road? They answer mm-hmm. those questions. Look out, no doubt about that. Scott, as always, appreciate the time. We'll listen to you in the mornings, 7-11 on Sirius XM NHL Radio. Thanks again for coming on. We appreciate it.
Anytime. Thanks, Greg. All right, there you go. Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM NHL Radio. Always enjoy that national perspective from Scott. That's going to wrap up our show tonight. Thank you so much for listening. We always appreciate it. We'll be with you again tomorrow live from the arena, getting you set for Lightning and Canadians. You can listen to it right here on Lightning Power Play.